This is Energy of Business Moments with Michael Seip, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their business success into your life and business. Energy of Business Moments is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Michael Seip. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Strategic Advisor Board Energy of Business Moments podcast. I'm your host, Michael Seip. And today I've got a real treat for you as a small business owner or entrepreneur or even thinking about getting going on your business. I have a small business veteran of over 40 years, and she has had some very challenging moments running her business. In fact, there's been survival mode more than once. So when you think about the statistic of small businesses and their failure rates, especially past the five-year point, hearing of somebody who's been in business for a long time is going to be very valuable. So today on the show, I've got Fran Tabor of Kalispell, Montana, and she has a small business there. But more importantly, she is an author, at multi-time author. She is an author of It's a Secret, How to Compete Against Walmart and the Internet, And the other title of a book she has is Live Abundantly, 50 Business Lessons from the Bible. So Fran, great to have you on the show. Welcome to being here. Thank you very much. It's an absolute thrill to be here with you. Great. Great. Well, Fran, there's a, a lot that you can share with us, but how about we start off on the author side before we get into your business? Because I am really curious there's a secret apparently to helping to beat Walmart and the internet and you in the small town being able to do that, that can be pretty challenging. So please tell us a little bit about that book and a little bit about you. Well, the book is not a formula for how to compete. What it is, is a source of the attitude it takes to compete that each and every business has its own personality, its own secret for how that particular type will survive. But the one thing that all small businesses have in common that survive is their attitude and their basic essential knowledge of the world. If you have the attitude that you have to play it safe, what you're really saying is you want to be ignorant of the dangers of any business you're working for. Unless you're a government employee, your position is no safer than that of the owner. And one of the articles I have in that book is, uh, was inspired by reading an article by Jim Collins. And Jim Collins is the author of Good to Great, Built to Last, and a couple of other books, all of which I highly recommend anybody read who wants to survive in business. Because the re- he doesn't write from theory and make, find the facts to fit it. He did the research, and the research changed a lot of his attitudes about what it took to survive. And it also turned him from a university employee to a genuine entrepreneur himself. But he gave a lecture to a group of Harvard graduates and he afterwards was talking with them. And he said, well, what are you planning on doing? And he couldn't believe how many of them said, well, I would really like to start my own business, but I don't think it's safe. So I'm getting this job or that job. And he pointed out to them that when you're going to be investing, 
the first thing you are told as an investor is do not put all your eggs into one basket. You are putting your most important money-making tool, your work, in somebody else's basket. And worse yet, you have no idea how strong that basket is. If you're going to be self-employed, you are holding the basket. You know how weak or strong it is. And every one of your customers is the person who helps you make an income. You're not relying on only one source. In reality, self-employment in many times is more secure than being an employee. Now, there is one disadvantage to it. Banks don't know how to lend to the self-employed. And a lot, most businesses do not start out with a big amount and have this massive influx of cash where they're doing this factory where they're having million employees. Most very big businesses started out small. A great many of them started out as a mom and pop operation that just gradually grew out of hand. Probably one of the most famous examples of that is McDonald's. Like McDonald's started out as a small mom and pop hamburger stand. And between the people who ran that efficiently and the guy that was selling them some of their supplies, uh, instantly and only about 20 years, it became a worldwide phenomena. But as a self-employed person, you know what's going on. The typical employee is like a draft horse with blinders. They don't see the dangers on the side of the road. If you are a business owner, whether self-employed, a single person, or you have a dozen employees or 500 employees, you have the blinders off and you know what's going on. And there's a famous line in a movie where the guy yells, you can't handle the truth. If you're going to be self-employed, you have to be willing to handle the truth. The second great secret for competing with Walmart and the internet is to be fully and deeply aware of what it is you offer your community that would not be there if you were not there. That is smart advice to know that you're working not just for yourself, but your family and so on. But when you have a business, it goes beyond your family. It includes your family still. That's still extremely important. But it now includes your whole community. And it always amazes me how many small business owners, even some very, very successful ones, ones who've made a lot more money than I, excuse me, are unaware of why their business makes their community better. We recently had a bunch of politicians tell us that some businesses are not essential. I will have to admit when that was first announced, my first thought was, oh, okay, uh, some aren't. I had to admit that I thought that at first because I wasn't exactly inexperienced in the world. I wasn't exactly inexperienced thinking about business. But it was only like a week later, I stopped to think. Nobody parts with their money, or a correction, almost no one parts with their money just because they're bored and walking down the street, taking a fistful of cash and throwing it into some business because they just had too much in their pocket that day. No. You spend money at a business because it solves a problem for you. 
And at that moment, for whatever reason, you believe that business was the one most able to solve your problem. Any business that solves the problems of consumers sufficiently well that they are supporting themselves and their families and additional families, they are solving problems. They are necessary to their community. And when you have a bad time and you think, well, it's not just me that will fail if I stumble at this point, but all these other people who are relying on me, it will make a difference. And if you know in your heart how you are making their lives better, even if your customers do not know or understand that you're making their lives better, you know it, it changes a lot. And it reinforces the faith that it takes to also be a business owner. And the necessity for faith is often very much misunderstood, but it is a statistical fact that those who regularly practice a religion any religion, do tend to do better in either self-employment, small business ownership, and big business ownership. And that's because all businesses have ups and downs. And it takes faith to get through the downs. And anything you can do to practice faith, it's like any other, other exercise. Like the athlete that regularly practices basic movements has that basic movement when he needs it in the game. When you're in the game of business, you need that faith to get you through the downtimes that absolutely will happen. Even if during a downtime, you forget all about faith and allow yourself to have a pity party. And if that happens, um, if you live long enough, you'll have a little pity party. Important thing is not to like it. And the other very important thing is if somebody wants to offer you pity, be really careful. Pity is the cocaine of emotions and it will destroy you. Uh, next wow, friend. <laughs> yeah, great, great bits of wisdom there. And, you know, from my experience as a, as a coach, we talk about the energy we bring. And for a lot of our audience, they know I've talked about how our emotions and our thoughts and our behaviors contribute to our individual energy level, either in the moment or throughout the day, or maybe through a period. And maybe there's a business transition. So we carry a certain energy associated with that mm -hmm. because of those thoughts, emotions, and, ac and actions. And you said at the very beginning, the biggest thing was the attitude. And that is really all about the emotions. It could be the pity party, as you were saying, it can be like, I've got a lot of competition. I've got to fight through this. It can be the compassionate side. How do I help my customer who's very frustrated? How do I help them, you know, get through and figure out why their vacuum cleaner isn't working, you know, mm -hmm. right? Um, there can be different emotions that we bring, different attitudes we bring. And so that I think that is the most important thing about all of this, because when it comes to those survival moments, how we respond as a business owner is so, so critical. And you gave me a wealth of challenging moments in your life. You talked about getting cancer and being uninsured and having to deal with that financially. You talked about how there's a downturn in the last uh, period where you went from 2% to 27% credit card debt just to keep employees on the payroll. Those are a lot of survival moments. And I think our listeners and audience would love to hear a little bit more about those survival moments and how you dealt with them. So if you don't mind, please share 
about a few of them and what you did there? Well, there were many factors that led to the single uh, most despair despairing moment of my business. Uh, one of them is that if you are a key manager or business owner or responsible for others, if you do not take care of yourself, your most important asset, you will not be able to take care of others. People that do survival training are taught that they do not put themselves in such jeopardy that the rescuer has to be rescued. I had always, well, since my early 30s, I had been on a low thyroid dose. And then my doctor that had prescribed it had retired. So I went to a new GP and just said, hey, I just need to have the thyroid uh, dose renewed. I don't need to see a doctor. I feel great. And I honestly thought I felt great. What I did not tell him is that my 15 minute in the afternoon power naps had turned into a couple of hours. I'd end up taking naps in the mornings. I had actually moved a cot in my office. So whenever I had the need for a nap, I would lay down for a little bit. And I was actually only fully functional about five or six hours a day, but this had happened gradually over a period of time. In one year's time, I also gained 60 pounds, which is not surprising because I ate the same amount and I was sleeping 15 hours a day. The doctor insisted on a full examination. He was not going to renew anybody's prescription without a full, complete examination. I went to him, and one of the first things he did was feel my throat. And he said, well, how long have you had this lump here? And I go, what lump? Come find out anybody who is on low thyroid is more apt to develop thyroid cancer than 95% of women are ever apt to develop breast cancer. And everybody on thyroid medication should be feeling their throat every day for any lump. They ended up scheduling me for an operation. Uh, when it guy operated on it, he expected it to be a 30-hour operation. It was a two, I mean, 30-minute operation. It was a two-hour operation because it turned out that my whole thyroid had dissolved because I had undiagnosed Hashimoto's, which meant basically my body was allergic to my own thyroid. And it took him two hours to suck out all the slime my thyroid had moved, turned into. It was amazing. I was functioning at all. This meant for several years, I was asleep at the wheel when it came to managing my business. When you're asleep at the wheel, whether you're driving a car, managing a business, managing a household, you well wrecked. I had two employees who were embezzling. Um, I did have the uninsured cancer, but I had looked into it, changing rules that we had in Montana, and a decent insurance policy would have cost me, I forget how many dollars a month, but I had an insane amount of credit card credit available to me, and I figured out, well, if something happened to me, my total payments if I mixed them out of my credit cards would actually be a couple dollars less than insurance. I thought, well, if I ever got really sick, I'd max out my credit cards. And if I didn't, I'd be saving that money. It seemed like a no-brainer. And that part would have worked. 
except when I recovered from the operation, which was really funny. When I first woke up and I was all groggy, I felt like a 60 pound weight had been taken off my back. My whole body was just going, ah, this is wonderful. I had no idea that my body had been feeling so bad till it felt really good again. I'm going, wow, this is what I used to feel like. And then with my energy back, I started looking at my books the way I would have a few years previously. And I go, this does not make any sense. I had had what for my little business was an absolute major amount of embezzlements. I owed a huge amount of money. And so I went, I paid for all my medical expenses. And then I used the rest of my credit card credit, which was close to 200000 for paying off creditors. And I thought, well, at least using credit cards, nobody would know I was so incredibly stupid as to gotten into this place because the embezzlements, to my way of thinking, were so obvious I should have caught them they first started happening several years previously. What I did not know is that credit cards that get paid off every month can have the real low rate of interest. And my credit cards were 2% to 3%. One was up clear up to 5%. And all of a sudden, like they're 15 to 29%. And I called them up and said, why? You have never had a late payment, never had an underpayment. And they go, well, that's when you didn't need credit. When you need credit, you're in a different category and this is your rate. So I swallowed my pride. This was 2008 and a recession hit and they had changes in banking laws. I went to my bank. And I am very fortunate that I own the property that my business is in. And the banker said, Fran, I know you. I've worked with you for years. I know what the property is worth. I should be able to just refinance it and just cover all this because really the amount of money goes to your business is not that excessive of a debt. However, the banking laws have changed. The way this looks and this looks and this looks if I were to offer any type of loan more than a few thousand, the feds would be on me right now. He was struggling for survival, which really shocked me because he is actually one of the smarter bankers I've ever worked. But he was a small independent bank. And this was when they had the big banking crisis and they had the new laws to keep that from happening again. But it was the big banks that were helping rewrite those laws. And Small banks that were solvent and doing a good job all across the country, they put so many of them out of business. But that's, that's another story. That was his struggle. He managed to get through it. He formed an alliance with several small banks. And so there I was. If I would have not been so prideful, come in a couple of months sooner, I would have sailed through the recession. But I didn't. I was proud. Excessive pride goes before the fall. And I spent the next three years, uh, it was really kind of funny. I spent the next three years basically eating oatmeal three times a day and doing what it took to survive because I knew what my business brought to the community. I had faith I would get through it. Although the faith was very sorely challenged. And Eventually I did, but what made it kind of funny is that my business, even though we were way down from what we were in 2007, I had 27 employees I'm thinking I should hire more. And 
end of 2008, I had eight employees from 27 to 28, from 27 to eight. And there were times when the eight did not have enough to do. I mean, it, the way the recession hit our town was just incredible. To give an idea, in 2007, I hated driving at noon because the traffic was just unbearable. In 2008, the traffic was the same as it was right at the height of the COVID crisis, nobody on the street. It was, it just, it was just a really weird thing. Thought I had seen economic downturns before. It was like nothing else. And so I hit that economic downturn with more debt than I had ever had in my life and the worst kind of debt to have. And in the middle of all this, when I realized just how bad it was, and it, anyways, it was my fault that bad, that I had told other people that they should have a physical checkup every year, and I went almost 10 years without one. And I had a pity party. And pity parties turn off your brain cells, something horrible. And then I picked up an early version of my book, 50 Business Lessons from the Bible, and the chapter about the importance of being thankful. And I thought, well, yeah, that was easy for me to write back then when I had so many things to be thankful for. And I was like, I heard this voice in the side of my head going, well, you believe those words back then. Why don't you believe them now? And the voice had to repeat that to me over and over again. So finally, I said, okay, I'll find something to be thankful for. And I just said, thank you, God, for existing. But how about some help with the mortgage right now? Right. <laughs> and I felt like God was laughing at me. But it did open up my brain cells. That day when I went downtown, it seemed like every store I went into, everybody looked miserable. The grocery store clerk was miserable. The other people picking out vegetables looked miserable. And I had not noticed that the day before. I was so busy concentrating on my own misery, I honestly did not notice everybody else looked just as miserable. And I went back to my shop that day and said, we are going to be an oasis of happiness. We are going to do everything we can to make everybody smile that comes in. We're going to greet them like it's the most wonderful, beautiful day of the year and be sincere about it. And my employees were great. They, all eight of them, they picked up on it and they said, yes, we will be an oasis of happiness. And it made a difference. People would come in just, uh, and they would leave with a big smile on their face. And that is something Walmart with their, Paid greeters cannot do. That is something the internet cannot do. That if you are a business dealing directly one-on-one -on -one with people, you can affect their mood. And people do pay to be happier. That's why musicians make money. That is why actors and actresses make money. And that is why we small business owners have access to making money not available to any big box store. Wow, that's a great point, Fran. And when you think about where you came from, those low moments, a series of lows, and then another one, and then another one, you know, 
that, that I wrote a book and I have this great thing about gratitude and I know it's really important, but not right now. And you know, <laughs> those, those are, those are the moments that try us. Those are the mm -hmm. ones that are we really honoring the words that we spoke or wrote before? Mm -hmm. right. Are those values really our values? And, mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of us can relate to that where we have those things that we cherish, we have our ideals, but then when we get thrown into the fire, what, what happens then? And, and do we still follow that? Right. And uh, I love how you got that message to be grateful for something and you recognized and saw your environment enough. You opened, you went from an internal focus to an external focus mm -hmm. and that exactly. external focus saw the depression going on all around you mm -hmm. and you did not like it. And you said, yeah. I'm going to do something about it. And mm -hmm. the rest of course is history. And what I also would point out is what our audience doesn't know is you showed me a graph earlier and I'll, I'll share it here a little bit later for those who can see the YouTube channel, but basically it showed that month to month over many years, your, your uh, growth and your, um, expenses and how sometimes you had appreciation and sometimes you had some liabilities and the 2008, 2009 period where it just dropped, 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 dropped. And then you changed and not overnight, but a, no. a, a long steady progress, just baby steps. It brought you back out. And then there was another piece where you had, obviously where you had to do some capital infrastructure and things mm -hmm. like that and, and, and go negative for a little bit, but then now you're rocketing back out at a much steeper rate than it, than you did coming out of 2008, 2009. So, so those are some really tangible uh, and relatable lessons that are very, very wise. And I, I love that. So that's for the, how you've pivoted out of, out of some challenging moments, but I would love to hear about what makes you so joyous about doing the business? What are some, maybe a moment you had or a couple of moments that, that really from an attitude perspective, just keep you uplifted and maybe even your employees uplifted? Um, I do often have customers thank us for being in business. That we do more than vacuums now. We have sewing machines, cleaning supplies, I have a lot of people that have gone into self-employment and went into cleaning homes. They'll come to us for the advice that mother never gave them for how to do different types of cleaning, and they thank us for that. Uh, other people, for my janitorial supply, I cater to small businesses that the big suppliers can't well call on the, on the big businesses but they just can't afford to call them the small ones. And the internet, you never, you have customer responses on the internet, but you never know if those are genuinely customer responses or paid by a company. And there's a lot of incorrect information. And I have businesses that will come to me and say, well, what is the best type of disinfectant to use here? And I provide that information for them in bite-sized pieces that they can understand. If they have questions, I don't know the answer to. I've been in the business long enough. I know the people to call up all over the country to get advice myself and say, well, this is what has worked for other people in your situation. Uh, people 
going into cleaning homes for a living for the first time, I give them basic business advice for how to uh, build customers and teach them that they are now charging retail rates to their customer and they've been in the habit and they've worked for others of being paid wholesale rates. And all businesses that survive pay their, their employees a wholesale rate and resell to the customer at a retail rate. You buy labor just like you, a grocery store buys a gallon of milk. They buy it wholesale, they resell it retail. And a lot of people, when they first go into self-employment and gradually work up to being a true business owner with employees themselves, really struggle with the idea of charging more than what they are accustomed to earning as an employee. I also teach um, people how to take care of what they have. Like something as basic as a fact that a vacuum that's plugged up won't work. You and I might think that that's pretty basic, a uh, young gal that just bought a vacuum and all, already has quit. And I explained to her, okay, this is, it's plugged up. This is how you could tell it was plugged. And I have actually had some gals that absolutely in tears because they were scared that they're going to have to buy another vacuum. They didn't have the money for it that month. And I was able to get their vacuum again, going either anywhere from free to five bucks, depending upon how involved time consuming the problem was. And people appreciate it when they are educated for how to use what they have, how to use it more effectively. And it does help having a business where I frequently have people thank me for business. I deal with many, many people in my business. I have people driving a couple hundred miles to come here. And occasionally we make a mistake and occasionally we will have a customer that makes you feel like you're the scum of the earth. You can't make happy. And it's a real temptation to concentrate on that one person you can't make happy, which to a certain extent you could and say, what could I have done to have prevented this so it doesn't happen again? But some people you just cannot make happy. And it is a very important lesson to not let that person dominate your thoughts the rest of the day or you're not going to give everybody else the service they deserve. And that was probably one of the hardest lessons for me to learn that I would go to sleep at night thinking of the would-haves, could-haves, should-haves. And I would be thinking of that one bad experience all week instead of letting my mind go back to the people that were thankful and happy that I survived, that I helped them survive a little bit better. Yeah, great. You know, Fran, and, when you we talk about that, the the part about the gratitude, right, and the, mm -hmm. the appreciation that the customers express, but then you have that one negative uh, that, yeah. that just weighs you like it. And maybe it was the one thing they said. Maybe it was you know a hot button for you, and and they hit that hot button. But but well, yeah, we can... well, something like you should not be in business. You don't. You're just a rip off on everybody. That can hurt your feelings, especially when you just tried your best. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And and we and this is the the beauty about the energy of business is that we have these kinds of things. And energetically, that will suck us. You know, oh, it'll, it'll, it'll it'll be a huge suck, right? It'll. And if you have a brand new employee that happens to them, you you've got to be right there. You said you coach. 
Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had the person that you thought was well-trained were put out in the field and he just, not his fault, had every bad experience that can happen. Got to be there for them. Absolutely. Yep. yep. And, and uh, you know, there's that, that mama bear piece of that's my employee. How dare you, you know, take, treat my employee like that. Right. But, but, you know, that that's part of being a business owner is, is when you talked about community, that community isn't just the customers, right? It's also the people the eight to 27 or more people that you, that are related to you and all of those people that you do business with those other small business owners. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, my maiden name was bear and I know all about the mama bear attitude. <laughs> I bet you do. Well, I um, have really enjoyed hearing about your experience. There's some, I would say, some really amazing life lessons as well as business lessons and what you've shared. And I am very curious because we ask this question of most of our guests, you know, if you could meet anybody deceased or living, who would that be? And why? Well, first, I am very thankful that I believe that we will have eternity available to us because it would take that long for me to really talk with everyone I'd like to. But Joseph, from the book of Genesis, I would really like to talk to him about what he felt like when his brothers first sold him into slavery what kind of thoughts went through his mind as he made that trip to Egypt, what gave him the ability to be one of the best slaves that the person who bought him had that he ended up being in charge of the whole household when he was falsely betrayed and thrown into jail and again betrayed by the people who had promised to help him, how he kept having the perseverance and strength to be able to still do his best where where people are familiar with the story. He went from slave to second only to Pharaoh in all the land of Egypt. He was able to save his family. And then after his father died, that he had genuinely forgiven his brothers for first planning to kill him. And then what in the ancient world would have been much worse than killing him, selling him into slavery. He sent off to a foreign land where he would most likely be dead within a year or two after a very bad life. And yet always did his best. He always had his faith that eventually things would work out. And he was able to forgive those who had done him wrong. Uh, I do not think if I would have had his life path, I would have performed in anywhere near his level and been able to sustain still trying at the level he did, I would just really be interested in talking to him and finding out where that amount of inner strength came from and that amount of ability to forgive came It's quite a life story. It had a wonderful, happy ending. I also know that for many people living like he did, the happy endings would not come. And if I've known that still kept trying to the end. Um, Victor Frankel's book, um, 
and search for meaning, describe people that he said when he was in the concentration camps, the best people died because they gave all their food to others. And people did not even realize that he was, they were giving their last food. I don't know if I would have been, but I think Joseph would have, that that's just consistent with his life. And I just would really, really like to talk to somebody like him and find out where they were able to consistently, consistently have that amount of faith and strength. Because my life, it was not consistent. I had a lot of downs. I had moments where I was just totally pity party. And I am very thankful I was able to get out of that. No, probably not. And it makes sense that you'd have somebody like that as somebody who you would like to talk to. That's a great um, explanation. And I, I think a lot of us can relate to that. What I also find interesting, of course, is that's just one lesson and a huge lesson to glean from, a couple lessons to glean from Joseph there. But you've written that book, obviously, about um, live abundantly 50 lessons from the Bible. What caused you to write that book? And, and how about you share one or two of those lessons in addition to what you just shared with us now? That people who were more religious than I was were more apt to be successful in business than the average. That a lot of them didn't go and get very big businesses, but you know they had small businesses, they had a few employees, they had a very comfortable lifestyle, they could afford whatever they wanted, and they had the life they wanted. And it just seemed logical if people that genuinely follow the Bible better than I did, consistently did better than business, there had to be some good advice there. Plus it's an accurate, or um, okay, I believe it's an accurate history, of just a lot of things of people happening and what people do with other people. One of the reasons I think it's an honest history is that a lot of what's in there does not reflect well on the people. It includes the good, the bad, the ugly, and all of it. And so I started reading through it. And it's basic things like diligent laziness it, it is important to take time out and take a break from what you do and think that you need some type of hobby that is something different than your business. And whether that's just attending church one day a week or something else, but it's something that gets your brain away from what you're doing. And that is actually a, a secret to a lot of advanced creative thought. Like the most successful mathematicians I know, if they were bothered with a problem, they would go paint a room or something and then go back to the problem. I had a chapter called Money uh, and Shovels. Church is the same thing. And basically, uh, uh, Bible I had a says chapter that money called is Money tool. and Shovels. And basically, and I compared it to a shovel. If somebody gave uh, Bible you a brand new that money is shovel, a tool and you put it up in the closet and I looked at it to a shovel. If somebody gave you, you a brand new shiny shovel, as if you had never used you it, put it up in the closet. But if you use that shovel and to looked dig out at it on occasion, plant some seeds, absolutely you worthless, have a great as if you had never used it. Money is the same way. But if way. you use that if shovel you just or dig out a garden, worth plant some seeds, worthless to you soon have a great bounty. You can invest is the same way. If you just business, you can invest it. You can invest it 
in uh, business, you've been invested. That is a clock. Okay. And that is a clock. That is a We have clock. a few more clocks coming. <laughs> and that is, a, that is the last clock. We have a Berta clock and we have an old grandmother. Uh, <laughs> and that is the last clock. clock. Cool. Nice. We have a nice. Berta clock and yeah, we have an old pick up grandmother. On that again. Uh, okay. grandmother clock chime. Money is a tool. If you hoard it, it is worthless but, to you and everybody else. Okay. Even just money in as a bank tool. savings account, if you hoard it, it is worthless to help lend out everybody else and help the community grow. Even just putting it in the bank savings account, the bank can use that as collateral to help lend out the community. You can invest it in your family to educate your family. You can invest it in a mutual fund and help businesses grow. You can do many things with it, but you can invest it in your family to educate your family. Uh, but money that is just hoarded, but it, money is not a value to anybody. Is it is value. It's like that money shovel. that is just hoarded and like is not a shovel out in the rain where it rusts. It's like money it's like that's that thrown shovel. away and wasted. And like the, if you leave that shovel out in the money rain where it rusts, take care of it's like money that's thrown away and wasted. Great. And they're to be used. Money is a tool. Take care of your tools and they'll take care of you. And and there's also for why you have employees that, that you can have an employee and to do what you would do if you had the there's time. There's also for why you but have you employees that you can have an employee to do, do what you would do if you had the time. And then the other but reason for having employee is to do what letting you somebody do. else do something you're multiplying yourself. And you have to be aware of And then of the other reason for having an employee is to do what you cannot be willing to do that. Which may seem like you have to be aware of lie and but it's not really hard to do that. Amazing how many small business like owners obviously not delegate enough. But it's not wonder why. Amazing how many small businesses say they're out sick or something do not delegate enough, and then wonder why they have to learn how to delegate. Or say they're out sick or something nothing gets done, and taking advantage of they other have people's ability to delegate is delegation is multiplication. And one of the first and examples in the Bible of taking other advantage of other people's ability is very important. Is that in the actual story and of one Moses, of the first Moses examples in the Bible of taking advantage of other people's ability? God said, well, you have to trust in Moses. He's a great public speaker. Use him. I'm a lousy public speaker. God said, well, you have this actuality. He's a great public speaker. All those cool lines that Moses was giving. They should have been done by Moses. Actuality in the movie Ten Commandments. All those cool lines that Moses was giving. They should have been done right. by but, uh, uh, Eric. Fran, those are all yeah, but, wonderful you know, lessons from that book of yours. And um, can, but, can people get that book yeah, uh, online? Yes, it's available through Amazon and Barnes and Noble and a wide variety of other places. Yes, it's available Great. through Amazon well, Fran, and the, um, Barnes and Noble and a wide variety of other places. Really, really valuable. And obviously... If somebody's in Kalispell, Montana, they can come and visit your store and come meet you in person. But uh, you know, you've got a lot of other things that you offer, especially in books. You're author in other areas, science fiction being one of them. Yeah. So what we will do is in the show notes, we will put some of those uh, links in there for people to yeah. be able to reach out to you. But I just have to say, um, it's been an absolute pleasure and treat having you on the show, and you have touched on some valuable lessons that I think a lot of people will walk away with knowing that, wow, that's some pretty impressive <laughs> stuff. So Fran, thanks for being on the show today. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. 
Thanks for listening to Energy of Business Moments with your host, Michael Seip. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates and we will see you on the next episode.